Today we find ourselves right in the middle of a great series that's called The Quest. And if you've missed the first few, I'll catch you up real quick. We're on a quest to know God better and to see the world through His vision and to better understand what He has revealed to us in His Word about how we should live and how we should serve. And wouldn't you know it, it's Father's Day. So for all the dads out there, happy Father's Day. I hope you are well spoiled throughout the day because you deserve it. I know some of your families. Kidding, you have great families. Man, the kids just gave me looks from over here. Uh, But this message is for you. It's for all of our men, regardless of what age you are. Um, And it's called Father's Quest. But I subtitled it, Real Men Don't, dot, 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 but they should. And uh, (laughs) I wanted to start off by sharing with you all what the world has defined as things that real men just don't do. And I found these from an online survey, so they must be true, all right? And and it was actually, there were were about 100 things that real men don't do. I narrowed it down to a few less than 100. But to start off, real men don't start drama, they avoid it. And they also prefer not to hear about it. Real men don't say no to their wives, ever. (laughs) A wife must have written that one. Real men don't shave their legs, backs, chest, or arms. Heads are okay. Real men don't talk down to people. They talk to them. They don't hinder their emotions. Crying is okay to a real man. Real men don't dye their hair. They rock their gray strands. It's honor, courage there. Real men don't wear pinky rings. I haven't seen one of those since the 80s, but apparently real men shouldn't wear them. Also... In that that same area, real men don't wear nail polish, including clear coats, but buffing is acceptable. So, uh, real men don't neglect their yearly physicals and and tests because, let's face it, real men just don't go to the doctor ever. Uh, (laughs) Real men don't walk in front of or behind their wife. They walk beside her. That was a good one. Real men don't abuse women or children in any way. Uh, some of the, the mid-generation will get this one, and some of you older people won't, but uh, real men don't listen to Coldplay or Maroon 5 or sing along to Justin Bieber. <laughs> this one's my favorite. Real men don't lie to their wife because they're smart enough to know they will get busted. <laughs> real men don't carry purses. Messenger bags are okay because I have one. Those of you who are traveling this summer know that real men don't ask for directions. We prefer to get lost, waste fuel, and swear, and then make our wife ask for directions when those things fail. <laughs> no, I'm not following any of you around, <laughs> but I know. Real men don't wear skirts unless it's a kilt. Uh, I didn't write them. Real men don't get facials or skin peels or manicures or pedicures, and we don't bathe in cologne. We know that a little goes a long way. Uh, real men don't have hands that are soft as a baby's bottom. That's, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> real men don't whine or complain. They just do or don't do. There is no try. I'm confused by that one because it comes from Yoda, and I'm not sure if he's a man or what, but he's just old. <laughs> so they don't. There just is no try. Do or don't do. Real men don't gossip like a woman or about women. Real, ooh. Look, a distraction. 
Man. Uh, real men don't speak with food in their mouth or while they are chewing. They also don't blow their nose at the dinner table. Real men don't watch chick flicks unless they're watching them with a girl. Real men don't have to prove themselves. Real men don't wear Speedos unless they're in a swimming competition or from Europe. <laughs> Real men don't do Zumba or watch soap operas. And they don't ask what's for dinner because they cook dinner. Uh, now I'm back in the good graces of the women. You see, it's, it's give and take. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Real men don't expect things to just happen. They make things happen. Uh, this next one, I think, was written by a wife. It says, Real men don't leave their toenail clippings scattered about the floor since they could become weapons of mass destruction. Uh, nothing stops up a vacuum cleaner quicker, guys. I'm telling you. Uh, these next few uh, are for some of our younger men. Say that real men should never participate in life-threatening behavior unless they have significant life insurance. So you can go jump out of an airplane and parachute, make sure the life insurance is up. Uh, younger men, real men don't break up with a girl via text messages, okay? That's a generational thing, yes. Um, and, and last but not least, real men don't need a list to tell them that they are real men. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, those are the things that real men don't do. But I've come up with a few things that real men should do. Uh, specifically, I've come up with seven things that real men should do, and, and they should do them for their families. Uh, so whether you have a family or you're single but thinking about having a family one day or you're in high school and you think you will never have a family, here are seven things you should do or begin preparing yourself to do and now you may be thinking, why seven? And there's a simple answer for that. I couldn't come up with ten. So that's where we're at. Seven things that a real man should do. I'm going to pray. You want to get out your pen and your paper so you can write these down. And uh, let's get on with it. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can uh, appreciate our fathers. I thank you that, that we can celebrate being a father. Um, I thank you that we can come here and, and learn about the love that you have for us, and, and that being the best example of the kind of father we should be. And, and so as we've laughed a little bit, and as we, we open your word, I pray that it will just uh, resonate in us today, that we can glean from it, we can apply it to our lives, and we can honor you with the type of, of men that we are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. The first thing that a real man should do for his family is to love them. Now, I think there, there are many, many scriptures about loving your family. And I landed on Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 6, and eight, or six through 8. Uh, we need to show an example of that love. And, and here's what I think it looks like really well. Verse 2 of Titus chapter, verse 1 and 2 of Titus chapter 2 says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting. For sound doctrine, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, and sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. I can't think of, of any better description, men, of what we can do to show our families love than, than to have sound doctrine, to be dignified, to be sensible, to, to know 
why we believe what we believe, to know where our faith come from, comes from, and, and to, to be sound in the love that we have for our families and for our Lord. Verses 6 through 8, Likewise, urge the young men, and this is something we need to do whether they're our kids or not, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, men, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Men, we need to live well. We need to live our lives well. And we need to be a hands-on example, not just to our kids, but to the younger men and women in our lives, especially on things like sound doctrine and on faith and love and being an example of those things. We need to be living above reproach in all areas of our life, not just being a good churchgoer. Don't, don't just show up on Sunday and go do whatever you want, but we need to be an example. And, and in that, we start out with love, but we also need to train them up. Proverbs 22, 6 is one of those great verses. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And now there's also a flip side to that verse, young people, and it comes from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, we need to love them. We need to love our kids. We need to be an example of love to our families, and we need to train them up. And part of training up our families, part of training up our kids, part of training up the young people in our church is instructing them in God's Word. That's the third thing that real men should do. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 10 says this, and it's, it's referring to Israel um, as a nation being urged to obey God's law. But I, but I think, it's again, it's, it's sound for where we're at in our world and what we need to be doing as, as Christian men today. And it starts out, it says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. We need to pass that faith on generation to generation. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 25 says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. What I like about that is it doesn't, doesn't get us off the hook for just bringing our kids to church or bringing them to VBS or bringing them to youth group. It's, it says that we need to be talking with our kids and our families about this. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. Verse 22, for if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I'm commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him, then the Lord, your, the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you 
and you will dispose, dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your border will be from the wilderness to, the, to Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, as far as the western sea. No man will be able to stand before you. The Lord your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. Here's my thought after reading all that. How did we go from the example of putting God's word on our doorposts and on our foreheads and in our hearts as a part of our daily life to just setting the Bible on our coffee table and, and, and nightstand somewhere and using it as an accessory on Sunday mornings? How do we go from, from this commandment with promise to, to where we are today? And I don't mean as individuals. I just mean church worldwide, Christians all over the place. I think we're all guilty of it. We say that we believe the Bible is true, yet we discount the parts that requires us to read it and to study it and to know it and to raise our families in it and to live by it. We like all the gushy parts that say grace and forgiveness and Love, we don't like the parts that say things like study, learn, hide in your heart. And then we wonder why our Christian families are having the same issues as our worldly families are having. What happened in Isaiah chapter 38 with King Hezekiah? I don't know if you know this story, um, but King Hezekiah, verse 38 says, In those days he became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Hezekiah is sick and he's going to die. And, and he is told, he's told by Isaiah, set your house in order because you will die and you won't live. And the Bible says, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And we're going to look at verse 9. This is, this is a writing of King Hezekiah. Um, after his illness and his recovery. This is what he wrote. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and let me live. Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my heart, or excuse me, kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. Verse 20. The Lord will surely save me. So we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. That's Hezekiah being a changed man. What was it that Isaiah said to him? He's sick. He's dying. Isaiah comes and says, hey, set your house in order. It's not too late, dying man. That's why I love that courageous song. Stand up. Wear a minute of courage. He says, set your house in order. And he wasn't speaking about financial order. He was talking to a king. He had the financial stuff covered. He meant spiritual order. Men, is your house in spiritual order? Future husbands, are you preparing yourself for your house to be in spiritual order? You know, we do well in getting our physical house in order because we can see those things. Life insurance, check. 40, 50-hour work week, check. 
Yard mowed, check. House painted, check. No termites, check. Cars running and clean, check. Those are the easy things to do. But we must get and keep our house in order. And we need to do it in a way that's honoring to God. Even if you're single, you've got to get your house in order. Start now. Don't say, when I get married, I'll be the spiritual leader of my house and I'll lead my family. Because if you're not spiritually trying to lead yourself, you're not going to lead your family. Get your house in order. If you're single, get your house in order so that when you're dating and then get married, you're starting with a house that's in order. Those are all a good start. Now, this next one seems to be kind of controversial. Some of you are thinking, you already hit that line, pal. This next one is what real men should do. And, and by now, I hope you've caught on that when I say real men, I'm talking about Christian men, God-honoring men. A real man should rule his family. I, I said this in marriage counseling not too long ago, premarital counseling with a couple, and the lady was like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> he is not a king. <laughs> he is not ruling anything. I said, hold on. Went through Ephesians 5, and I said, you know, he gets to, you know, you need to submit to him, but he needs to love you as Christ loved the church. He needs to be prepared to sacrifice himself for you. And, and so real men, it, it's not ruling them like you're a king or, or like you're greater or above but it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Um, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, and some of you right there have checked out because you're like, I got married. I didn't want to become a deacon or an elder. Leave me alone. Stay with me. It is fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, as I said earlier, I know it says it is for those who desire the office of overseer at the church. But I want to tell you this. If you are a Christian man and you have a family, you, sir, are an overseer of part of God's church. And you should be involved, not just in your family, but in the church and do your part in leading Christ's church and overseeing her. One of the biggest problems with churches today is that men aren't doing their part. Too many men in too many churches are okay with just letting women do it. It happens. As real men, we should be teaching Sunday school classes of our younglings. We should be the hands involved in things like our Galaxy Kids programs and VBS, sponsoring youth events and being involved and being an involved example, not just to our own kids at home, but the young men and women of our church. We also need to correct them. Nobody likes that one either. But here's the thing about correcting. If we aren't doing all the things that I've already mentioned, then our correction just seems more hypocritical than anything else. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And we were talking about that in Sunday school today, how in our world, discipline has gone out the window in, in the public arena, in schools and, and even in families. And Proverbs nineteen eighteen says, Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Uh, Proverbs twenty three thirteen says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. I read that one to Dylan from time to time. 
this hurts you more than it hurts, or hurts me more than it hurts you. No, it doesn't, Dad. <laughs> He's starting to get it. Uh, Proverbs 29, 15 through 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Just so you know, I know other verses about uh, discipline than Proverbs. Uh, I got into Hebrews chapter 12 a little bit. And chapter 12 verse 7 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. We shifted gears. We went from us being able to discipline our kids to God correcting us as, as adults, as parents, if you will. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I've been a lot of things, but I don't ever want to be an illegitimate child of God. Verse 9 says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it. See that key word there? Trained by discipline. Discipline is not abuse. It's love. I wish our, our world and our laws would see that. For those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Men, we must submit to the Lord. We must accept and learn from these from times of discipline. Sometimes men were too prideful. I'll say it for you so you don't have to. We make mistakes and we'll say we're sorry to each other or to our spouses, but we don't want to go before the Lord. We don't want his discipline for the moment. We, we don't want him uh, to, to take us down that road. And so we think, well, I apologize to my wife or I apologize to my, my co-worker. And sometimes we don't go to that next step and apologize to God and, and see what the discipline is. We need that. We need to accept and learn from times of discipline so that we can rise, raise up a new generation of young people who will strive to be great men and women of God in their generation. Look, it's not women's work to raise up the young people in our church. It's ours. We need to take it serious. We need to get involved at all levels. Don't wait for them to, to get into junior high and they go, women shouldn't teach anymore. Well, we need to start being involved from the ground up, guys. We've got babies in our nursery. We've got kids in our preschool. We've got little kids in the uh, kindergarten through fifth grade and galaxy kids. We've got junior and senior hires that are looking for men to be involved besides just Andy. Because let's face it, he's only been a dad for like four months. <laughs> all right. He needs, he needs all our help to get in there. So there you have it. The next thing that real men do is they provide for their family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Guys, I must confess, because confession is good. I like shiny things. And I'm not talking about diamonds. I like shiny things with big V-twin motors, custom exhaust, yeah, loud things. I also like shoes. 
I have developed an unhealthy desire to have shoes, but only one kind. Nikes. <laughs> Telling you. And, and I'm fond of jackets, like hoodies and stuff. I'm not going to lie. If it were up to me, I would have a closet. Nah, I'd have a room full of Nike shoes and hoodies and jackets. Yeah. And I can almost justify it because Nike makes a shoe for every occasion. From flip-flops to dress shoes. Bet you didn't know Nike made dress shoes. I can't afford them because they're a partner company called Cole Haan, and they're about $275 a pair. So if you're thinking about gifts, my birthday is August 31st. It's a size 12. <laughs> Feed my desire for shiny things and Nikes. Uh, I would. I would have a closet. I'd have a room full because uh, they're awesome. But the reality is this. Currently, I don't have a motorcycle. And reality is I only have about three pair of Nikes because I like knowing that I've provided for my family first. I like knowing that I'm taking care of them. There are a lot of times when I want to say, you know what, I'm going to go do that. And then I go, no, I need to stay home and do this. And it's hard because I'm a yes man. I like to say yes to everybody. It's part of my nature. It's one of my strengths, actually. I found that out in Strength Finders. I like to please people. But I realize that if I'm not pleasing my family, if I'm not providing for my family first, I'm not able to provide or please any of you either. Here's the thing. It's not easy. I like to spend money. I like to do things. But I like knowing that bills are paid and that my family's needs are met. And I like that more than I like a closet full of Nikes or a garage full of motorcycles. The last thing that real men should do is actually the first thing that we should do for our families every day. And that's pray. We should not just pray for our families. We should pray with them. I get that example from Job. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He prayed for them continually. There are many, many examples of why we should pray for our families. And many times that the Bible says, Pray for this, pray for that. But, man, because we don't always know what our kids are doing. We raise them up well. But pray for them. Intercessor prayer for your kids is a good thing. Lift them up. The Bible tells us we should pray without ceasing. The reason is because Satan distracts and attacks us without ceasing. And in reality, I could have probably come up with 50 things that real men should do. And we can even take these seven and sum them up very neatly by saying, real men should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, 
and love your family as you love yourself. My prayer this week has been that God's Spirit would move amongst the men of Huntsville Christian Church, that, that He would not allow us to rest peacefully until we are doing these things according to what He has revealed to us in His Word, and that through His Word, we will have His vision for how we should treat our wives, how we should treat our children, our grandchildren, how we should serve our brothers and sisters in and outside of the church. And men, as we come to our response time today, I pray that your response will be that as individuals and as a church, we will strive to be men that honor God and love our families and that we will have the courage and the strength to fight for our families, not with them. Will you stand and sing with us, please?